Hey, welcome to Adore Church. James Cruz, I'm the pastor. Thank you so much for being with us, however you found us, whether you're watching this video or listening to the podcast. We're going to kick off a two-part series on how we raise kids through the biblical lens of the Bible. Jesus is teaching on how we raise kids because this is a huge issue that we're facing right now. We want to make sure our parents, as parents, I have three teenage boys and then a, an eight-year-old daughter that's in second grade. It is time for us to make sure we're raising our kids the way God intended us to raise our kids. Before we get started into that though, look, we do this. We're able to do this because of people like you. So we want to give you an opportunity to partner with us financially. We have big plans for Door Church. We've got huge things we want to do, but we need people like you that believe in the message, believe in what we're doing to financially support us. You can go on to doorchurch.com. There is a give button you can give there. You can make a donation that goes towards building the church. It goes towards getting us to be able to do weekend services, more weekend services, kids ministry, to go into community and give and love on people. Every dime that we get goes right to helping and loving people. So would you consider today as you watch this or listen to the podcast, prayerfully think about supporting us. Adore Church, Tom, you can give. Now, done with that. We're going to get right into this series. I'm going to kick it off with a verse that Paul said in the New Testament. Paul was a powerful guy, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and he was talking to some people, and, and people looked up to Paul, right? People looked at Paul as the guy that had it all together, the guy that was doing everything right. And he said this phrase, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And what's Paul saying? Paul's saying, yeah, you can look at me, but as you're looking at me, understand this, I'm trying to be as much like Jesus as I possibly can. Because Jesus is, is the, the standard setter. Jesus is the person I'm trying to be more like. I'm trying to get more of Jesus in me so that I can then be more like Jesus to you. And, and let me just paraphrase that and say it to this way, challenge you parents that are watching this. That's our role. That's what we should be passionate about too. And we should be passionate about being more like Jesus so that our kids look at us and we say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Don't imitate me because I'm perfect and I got figured it out and I'm awesome and amazing and I'm, I'm the best person on planet earth because that's not true. Like if you're a parent, you understand you are not perfect, right? You're not perfect and you're not going to have perfect kids. But our passion and our, and our, and our push to be to more, be more like Jesus. And so as we go through these 10 things, understand this, the challenge is, Am I doing this first as a parent, right? Am I getting these things in me so that I can look at my kids and say, look, I'm trying. I'm doing the best I can. I'm giving it everything, God. I'm not perfect, but I'm trying. And as I try these five things, I'm going to impart them into you. So there's a partnership of these five things. It's not five things or 10 things that parents should say, you do this, kid. It's, man, I'm trying. Let's come together and do this. And I have responsibility as your authority figure, as your parent, to help you do this. So we're going to jump right over. Number one, the number one thing we need to teach our kids and raise our kids is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Number one, John 3, 3 says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John 3, 16, right? You know the verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that you should not perish, but have everlasting life. And Mark 6, 36 is like a, is a huge verse. It says, what, if, what is it profit if you gain the whole world and lose his soul. You see, Jesus came for a purpose and a reason. One of the things that we struggle with, especially where we are here in New England, there's a lot of religion. There's a lot of, hey, I'm good, and if I do good, God could love me. There's a lot, there's a lot of that that we teach people. There's a lot of religion that if I do these customs and do these things and, and do liturgical things and have these theologies and do this and do that, and I'm good enough, well, then God could definitely love me. I heard it said this way. I get this question a lot. How could a loving God send people to hell? How? Dude, answer me that question and I'll follow God. 
How could a loving God look around the earth and say, you're going to go to hell? Right? Maybe you've heard that question. Can I ask you or say this to you? That question's completely wrong. It's backwards. The truth of the matter is it's backwards. The truth of the matter is how could a perfect and holy and never sinned, never messed up creator of the universe, how could that guy let me into heaven? How could that guy let us, humanity, that's broken, that's prideful, that's arrogant, that kill each other, that's murders, that liars, that, that destroy people's lives, how does he let us that are messed up, the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. How does a perfect, holy, loving, wonderful, just perfect God let us imperfect people into heaven? You see the difference? The difference is the way we see ourselves. The difference is we think we're good. The difference is we think we're owed something. We think God's good and I'm good, therefore good. No. The Bible makes it clear in Genesis 2, Genesis 3, that it was perfect. We were perfect in the garden. Everything was great. We were buck naked walking with God in the garden. And then Eve ate the apple and sinned into the world. And that happened because God gave us a choice. Because even though God's perfect, He still gave us a choice. And he wanted us to choose him. He wanted us to say, I love you, God. I, I want to be in a relationship with you. Just like every good relationship is a choice. Every marriage is built on choices. Every friendship is built on choices. If there's not choices involved, it's slavery. If God said, you have to worship me, there's not a relationship, that's slavery. We reject slavery. God hates slavery. And so he gave you a choice. We rejected that choice and we became not worthy. We became not good. Sin entered the world. Separation from God. But in God's beauty, in God's amazingness, in God's grace, in God's mercy, He said, I don't want you to be disconnected from me. I want you to come back. I want you in heaven. I want you with me perfect. But in order for that to happen, I can't give you the ability. I can't let you do it. I can't, you, you're not capable of winning yourself back. There's got to be the free gift of salvation, the Bible calls it. John 3.16. So God said, in order to get you back, in order to make you perfect, I will die. I will be the sacrifice. I will take on the, sh the sin, the shame, the guilt, all of the stuff, the badness, the rottenness, the ugliness. I will take that on me in the form of Jesus Christ on the cross. And I will die. And then I will be resurrected perfect. And through that resurrection, you then can be perfect with me in heaven. And so I'm going to make a way where there is no way. That's a relationship with Christ. Listen to what Romans says. Romans 10.8 That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made. We have to teach our kids a relationship with Christ is the way to heaven. Accepting Him as our Lord and Savior. Understanding that I'm messed up. Understanding that I'm flawed. Understanding that I don't have everything right. I'm not going to be perfect. We have a saying at this church, no perfect people allowed. Because there are none. If we teach our kids they're good, and doing good is going to get them to heaven, we are teaching them something wrong. It's not to make them feel guilt and shame to say you're not good and you're messed up. That's reality. We have to say, no, but even in that, even in the nastiness and the bad choices you make, there is a person that loves you still in all of that. Isn't that our role as parents to look at our kids and say, no matter what you do, no matter how bad you've been, no matter what decision you made, there might be consequences, but dad loves you, mom loves you, you're my son, you're my daughter, and I always will. We want that from our parents. 
That's what God wants to do with us. It's a relationship, not a religion. You can't earn your way into heaven, son or daughter, mom or dad. The beauty is it's a gift. We have to teach our kids the gift of salvation. Look, if you've never accepted that gift, pause the video right now. Stop and say that prayer. Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead for you. You will be saved. You can do it right now. God will meet you right where you are. You can take your kid tonight, right now at the dinner table, and you could say, let's say this prayer together, son, daughter. I did it when I was five years old, and I could still remember making that prayer. My kids have all done it with me in their bedrooms, or even at a church. They've done it. They've made that confession. You can do it today. It's a simple free gift of salvation. Teach our kids that. Number two, after that becomes the second part of walking with God or discipleship with God, not to their own faith in Jesus Christ their own faith. We have to teach our kids to have their own faith in Christ, just like we have to have our own faith in Christ. Philippians 2 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not my presence only, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Romans says, Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Hebrews 11 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And 1 John 5 says, And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Faith. So just because you're saved, I'm going to heaven, I'm in a great life, doesn't mean that life is, is a bed of roses anymore. It means I have Jesus. I'm going to be with Jesus eternity. Now here on earth, I got some stuff I got to do. I got some choices I got to make. I got to build up my faith for the challenges of life because Jesus said, in this world you will face troubles. But I overcome the world. Why? My faith. So I have to get faith. How do I get faith? Hearing the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. This is why church is important. This is why you need to get to church. This is why you need to get your kids into church. Because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You need to be under the teaching of somebody, a pastor that cares about you, that loves you, that will teach you God's word. Not give you social justice opinions, not talk about politics all the time. There are time and places for those things. But is he giving you, rightly dividing, the Bible says, the word of truth. Is he giving you the word, the scripture, what God says about topics, what God believes about topics, what God says about you? That's what we're passionate about this church. We're passionate about teaching you God's word because God's word is what changes you, not my opinion, not my words. That's why, especially here in New England, church has become secondary for people, right? Sporting events are more important. Uh, everything is more important. The Cape is more important. Vacations are more important. All those things. I'm not saying you shouldn't do those things. We don't preach that you should never go away. We don't preach that you should have your kids involved in sports. What we do preach is that you have to also have a priority on church, and getting your kids into church. If you're part of our church, Adore Church, we want you to be there every time the doors are open. Why? Because it is something your kids desperately need. It is something you desperately need. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We overcome by faith. Get the word of God in you. Read your Bible. Get your kids to read the Bible. If you need tools, if you need help, that's why we're here. You have to build up your faith and then we have to teach our kids to have their own faith because at some point they're going to walk out of our house and the world is going to question everything they believe. Even now, if they're 13, 14, 15, if they're on social media, if they're anywhere in culture, it is coming everything against everything you believe in the Bible. 
and what God says. It will always be that will. The world will always be contrary to God because the world is full of broken people, sinners separated from God, a devil that doesn't like God. It is a war. The Bible makes it, says very cleanly, it is a spiritual war that happens. And your kids are in a spiritual war whether you want to admit it or not. There is a war going around. You need to build them up in faith. You need to get them in church, get them filled with God's word so that when they go out and they have questions, they have times and moments, they're ready for the battle. It's just like what you do with the regular stuff. You have rules at your house, right? You train your kid up and then when you go to eat at a restaurant, you're like, wait, I raised you better than that. What's going on? Like they're in public and all of a sudden this pressure is coming in. You're like, wait, what? What are you doing, kid? I didn't raise you like this. That's what happens with spiritual things too. We feed them up in the church so that when they go out, we can, go, we can make right decisions because we've put the word inside you. You have to do that yourself. And then as a family, we have to come together and do that. Racism of Jesus Christ, their own faith in God. Number three thing we have to do to raise our kids biblically is we have to teach them to respect authority. I might step on some toes here, but I don't care. I'm not here to be your friend. I'm here to be your pastor and tell you the truth. Romans 13, 1 says, Let every soul be subject to governing authorities. There is no authority except from God. The authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists God. We have to teach our kids to respect authority. A couple things about authority I'm going to go into, a couple of scriptures I'm going to go into. But first, he, Paul's talking about government authorities. Listen, Paul wrote this in a time where Christians were getting hunted down and murdered persecuted, crucified, right? They, they, were, they were getting persecuted at an incredible alarming rate by the government. Yet Paul is saying, look, we respect the government. We understand that God puts things in order. You don't have to respect the people in authority because people are not perfect, but we do need to respect the positions of authority. So we need to teach our kids, you're going to respect your coach. I don't like my coach. I don't like the way he coaches. It is. I don't care. You're going to respect him. As long as he is your coach or she is your coach, you're going to respect them. You're going to do what they say. If it breaks moral codes, that's a different conversation, obviously. You're going to respect your teachers. You're going to respect your principal. You're going to respect your police officers. You're going to respect firefighters. You're going to respect doctors and nurses. You're going to respect senators. House of Representatives, you're going to respect mayors. You're going to respect the president, the office of the president. I don't care if it's President Trump in the office. I don't care if it's Joe Biden in the office. I don't care what politics you have, red or blue or in between. I don't care. The Bible says I respect the authority. I respect the country. I teach my kids when they see the president, they respect the president because of the office he holds. The Bible is specific on that. We've got to get back to respecting authority. So many kids are getting raised where they think they know more than authority does, and you don't. God will bless you and honor you if you respect authority. Again, if it goes against moral things, if they're asking you to sin, if they're doing, making you think, do things you shouldn't be doing, obviously that's not the case. You find a parent, you find another authority figure and say, this person's way off. Totally different thing. But it goes hand in hand with the next one, Ephesians 6, 3, 6, 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you. And you live long on the earth. Colossians 3 says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is pleasing to the Lord. 
So talk to the parents. You have to have a, a, a home that is embedded, infused with authority. Children, obey your parents. This is right. So you have to have a standard for your kids. You have to have things that they obey you in. You can't let your kids run much shot over you and the family. They have to know what is right and what is wrong. What is acceptable and what is not. Rules, laws, and there has to be consequences to those things. We have to teach our kids to respect authority by starting in our home. But, you don't, but I'm not perfect, James. Nobody asked you to be perfect. But you know what right and wrong is. And we have to teach our kids that, whether we did that or not. It says, which is a commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and your kids. Colossians 3 says, children, obey your parents in all things. It doesn't say sometimes, only when you're right, sometimes when you feel like it. My kids will always obey when things are easy. Hey, Levi, listen, um, mom and dad need to talk. Will you go play the Xbox? Boom, one second, down the hole, he goes into the Xbox. Hey, we're going to go out. You guys uh, mind get some ice cream? Yeah, we're in. Levi, pick up your room. Micah, pick up your room. Oh my gosh. That's World War III. Seth and Micah, stop picking on your brother. Oh my gosh. That's World War III. Fill in the blank rules that we have in our house. I'm going to go through all of them. But there are some that they don't want to obey. But it says, children, obey your parents in all things. And this goes back to something that I want to just dive into just for a second. Being a parent and being a friend is never going to be like this. Your job as a parent is not to be your kid's best friend. That's not our job. That is not our role. We can be their friend, right? I want to have a relationship with my son and my daughter that's friends. We got in the backyard yesterday. We shot around hoops with my kid. And we talked about stuff, we laughed about stuff, we're watching some TV shows together. We're friends, we talk and we laugh, we go to sporting events, we have those things. But there are times where parent role supersedes friend role. Where I have to say, look, I love you enough, son, to say you're not doing that. And you're gonna go crazy and you're not gonna like it, you're gonna be ticked at me and you're gonna be mad at me. But as a parent, as authority, you are gonna obey me because I tell you to do so. Here's what I see a lot of times, especially around here now. Parents say these things. Well, you know, I, I didn't, I did that when I was young. How could I tell them not to do it when I did it? That, that is the dumbest line of thinking possible. That's like saying, well, I drove 95 miles an hour. I wrecked my car and I'm paralyzed. And my kids now got a car. And I say, you know what, kid? Don't, don't. I can't tell them not to drive 95 miles an hour. Why would I? I did it. How could I tell them not to? You know how you can tell them not to? Because you see the consequences of that action. You have felt the consequences of that action. You see doing that led to harm for you. So you have to step up as a parent and say, look, this might not sound right. I know I messed up when I was a kid, but I love you and I care about you. And I'm teaching you the principles of God's word that don't do that. Don't do this. Just because I did it doesn't lessen my authority figure to come in your life and say, don't do it. As parents, we have to set boundaries for our kids when it comes to certain things. And what I see around the places I live, the CI's culture going, parents are just kind of unleashing things now. Kids are drinking alcohol at, at just insanely young levels. The amount of weed being smoked is unbelievable. The amount of um, sexual activity going on right now, unbelievable, right? You've got to protect your kids. We're going to get that in the next one. But there has to be boundaries that you set as parents in place to say, this is, the Bible says this, 
as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And I have to step in and say, as for us, my crew's clan, this is what we do. It says children obey and then honor. So they have to learn to obey first because then they'll honor you. So in other words, the stove deal. Right? When you were a little kid, you had a little kid, you told kids, do not go by the stove. Or if you have a fire pit, don't go near the fire pit. You don't explain to them why yet. Sometimes they're too young to even understand that the fire pit's gonna burn them and it's gonna hurt, or the, the electrical outlet's gonna do that, or the compactor, or fill in the blank things in your house that you did, or don't walk across the street, don't let go of mom's hand. A million things like that when the little, you're just like, you're just gonna obey. Things like when mom says stop, you stop. Period. End of story. If I say no, you stop. You tell them that all the time. Like, don't, don't. You never explain things to them, right? It's not till later on in life can you sit down and go, look, do you understand now why I said don't put your fingers in the fireplace? Do you understand now why I told you you can't just walk across the street without looking both ways? you understand now why when mom says stop and I told you to stop, there are times where I can see more than you can see and I'm just trying to protect you? As they grow into maturity, they will begin to honor you at that point. Oh man, yeah, I get it, mom. I understand why you did that. But there, there's, there's, there's a time lapse there that happens. And when you have little kids, you're just in the obey phrase. But if you stay in the obey and you lay down rules, later on in life, they'll honor you by saying, man, you did have my best interests in mind. There was things you protected me from that I didn't even see. I couldn't see, right? And that goes on to the next one. Number four, guard their heart. Proverbs 23, seven says, as he thinks in his heart, so he is. Proverbs four, keep your heart with all diligence. Whatever things are pure, whatever things are noble, you know the scripture, focus on those things. Second Corinthians 10, five, casting down imaginations, everything that exalts itself above against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity and the obedience of Christ. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. There's all these things about thoughts, 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 thoughts. Joyce Meyer has an incredible book called Battlefield of the Mind. There's one for teenagers. I highly recommend you get it and read it with your kids. But it talks about what you think is so important. Yes, going back to number one, I'm saved. But then working out my salvation gets into the thought realm. What is my heart thinking? What is going on in my mind? And as parents, listen to me, we have to guard our kids' hearts. They're innocent. They're confused. They got questions. Sometimes they're not abil have the ability to process things yet. So we have to step in and say, I'm going to guard you. There are some things that I am not letting in. And that might make me the bad guy, but I don't care. Because I want you to be as innocent as you can be. I want you to be able to process the emotions that you can handle. Right? I'll just jump right into it. I'm going to get my, let me hold on. My soapbox. I'll put it down. Listen to me, I'm going to challenge you right now. If you're still listening to this, I'm going to challenge you about what are you guarding your kid's heart? How does it look like? What does the practicality look like? One, it looks like social media. Do you know what your kids are watching on social media? Do you know what they're looking at on social media? Do you know the impact that social media is having on their hearts, on their minds, on their thoughts? Do you know what they're saying over text? Do you know what they're doing with their friends? Do you know the things that are going on in their life, right? Social media is, it's hell. It's hell. And our kids cannot handle it. Your 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old boy or girl cannot handle what they see on social media. You, if you have social media as an adult, you have to understand this. And there is such a pressure right now 
for people to be like, kids say, they're 12, 10, 9, 8 years old. They got social media. They got Instagrams. They got Snapchats. It's incredible. Look, you go on social media, Instagram for 10 seconds and go on Instagram Reels and just scroll your finger. You will see inappropriate things. You will see half-dressed girls doing movements that were only supposed to be in the bedroom. You see half-dressed guys. You see the world telling girls, this is what success looks like. This is what you have to do to get more followers. This is what you have to do to get likes. This is what you have to do to be popular. You see guys saying, guys cannot handle the imagery of half-naked girls. They can't at 12, 13, 14. They're not supposed to be handling that. They're not supposed, look, read Proverbs 6. If you want to understand what it does to a man. Proverbs 6 details what it looks like when a guy gets sexual thoughts in his mind that he can't handle yet. We have to guard our kids' hearts. No, but, but James, you don't understand. All their friends got social media. I don't care who has social media. You're not my son. That dude is not my kid. I'm not going to stand before God for that kid. I'm going to stand before God for you. And I care about your heart. And I care about the way you see yourself. I have an eight-year-old daughter. I'm going to protect her with everything I got. I'm going to say, hon, you're beautiful just the way you were made. You don't need to be going on Instagram putting yourself half naked to get some guy's approval. That's not power. That's not what we want my daughter to be. And, and you can have a discussion with me all day long about that. I want my girl to feel loved, valued, and believed in because of the way she is and because of the way God made her. And I want her to be ourself. But the world is taking our daughters and destroying them. The world is making them grow up. The world is throwing them into an atmosphere where older men are looking at them, trying to take advantage of them. The world are taking our son and they're telling them sex is everything. The sexual drive you have is everything. Treat girls as nothing but sexual items. Let alone the whole bullying thing that goes online with social media. Why do you have it? Can I ask you? What is the purpose? What is it bringing to your kids? And you might be thinking right now, do you have social media? Your kids have social media. I'll be honest with you, no. I have a 17 year old, a 15 year old, 13. Not one of them has a social media account. Not because I am crazy dictator, mad guy. I have conversations ongoing with my 15 year old and my 17 year old. Do you want it? What does it look like when you get it? Why do you want it? They don't want it right now. Because we have talked and I have imparted as much as I can into them that you don't need to see that stuff. What is the point? My, my 15 year old son said, I don't understand the point of social media. It's just looking at other people's crap and stupid videos. He's right. But so many parents right now just give in. Well, they have to have it. Everybody else has it. My kid will be weird if he doesn't have social media. He won't be popular. He won't be. No. What I want my kid to be is, one, have wisdom of what it does, how it affects you, so we can have a conversation. And I'm going to protect you. And if you have it, then I'm going to put rules in place, what it looks like. I'm going to check on you. I tell my kids all the time, the first time you go on a date at a theater, I'm going to be all three rows behind you, sitting behind you. Why? Not because I'm crazy, maybe a little bit, because I love you and I care about you. And my job is to guard your heart. Think about it. Think about like the coronavirus. How much do we guard our family over the last 12 months with coronavirus? Dude, we got masks, triple masks. We were sanitizing the thing in the garage for like six weeks before we brought it into the house. We, we, I mean, people went crazy for the last year, locking down only you in your house, 
Oh my gosh, keep the virus as far away as possible. Is it outside? We can't go outside. Is it inside? Oh my gosh, what are we gonna do inside? Spray it down, sanitize, take sanitized baths. What are we doing? Oh my gosh, shut down every business, shut down every state, shut down the borders, shut down everything. We don't want that virus to get in here. How far will we go to keep our physical safety of our kids over the past 12 months? Even now in Massachusetts, kids are wearing masks to school, six feet apart, social distance. We've, we've like destroyed the social fabric of our kids. They're struggling so bad, I know, because my kids. But we say it was worth it to protect them. It's worth it to keep them safe. How could you look at it that way for that, but then come back to things like social media, things like sexual promiscuity, things like weed and alcohol, things like those things that we know lead to bad stuff, we know lead to addictions, lead to heartache, lead to shame, lead to, to messed up, Look, I could, I, could, I could get 75 girls up here and say, what happened? And they can tell you, I sent a picture to fill in the blank guy and it went around the school and I was bullied for it. And I feel guilt and shame for it. I could, I could bring you up every guy up here that said, I had tons of guys that, man, I started smoking weed when I was in high school and then weed went to, to, to alcohol, I was addicted to alcohol, then it went to opioids and now I'm, I'm in rehab and I've lost my marriage, I've lost my kids, I've lost my job. I could send thousands of people up here that have that same exact story. Yet as parents, we just say it's okay. Well, I did it. This is what happens. We have to guard our kid's heart. And you know what that means as well? We have to guard our own. Guard our own. Number five, the last one is, how do we do that? I think the number way we approach that is number five, and that's teaching our kids the power of prayer. Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, but thanksgiving, let your requests be unto God. 1 John 5, now this is the confidence we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Colossians 4, 2, and I'll close with this. Continue earnestly in prayer. Be vigilant in it with thanksgiving. What is prayer? Maybe you're new to the, the faith, maybe you're new to this thing, but prayer is simply inviting God into your life. God, I need your help. That's praying. God, my kid's out of control. Help me. That's a prayer. God, I got some addictions that I'm dealing with. Help me. When Jesus walked around, people came to him and said, Jesus, help me. Read, read the New Testament. They just threw their hands at Jesus and said, I need your help. My kid's sick. He's dying. I need your help. Jesus responded to the earnest, faithful, passionate prayer of people, which is just saying, God, I'm broken. I'm messed up. I need you. We have to just teach our kids. If we can just teach our kids every day when they wake up in the morning to say, I'm loved by God. I'm believed in by God. I'm perfectly made by God. God, I invite you to every decision, every choice I make. Come into my heart, come into my life, be a presence in my life, guide and direct me. That's a prayer. The Lord's prayer, Jesus made very simple. Prayer is just communion with God, it's fellowship with God. We have to have it as parents. We have to teach our kids as well how to have that. It's not weird, not anything like that. If you need more things about prayer, I can give you books on prayer, podcasts on prayer to help you. Look, those are five things that you could start today doing with your kids. I'm gonna get part two here in a second. But I pray this challenged you. If you have any questions, any feedback, you wanna blast me, you wanna sit down with coffee with me, you got, you got an opinion you wanna hammer me with, I am fire, I love that stuff, let's talk. We love you, we're praying for you, let me say a prayer over you and then we'll get to part two here in a minute. God, I pray for every person watching this video, every parent out there that you anoint them, they're called to be parents, you've gifted them with the great responsibility of being parents. Pray that you'd bless them and be with them today. Give them wisdom. Give them discernment. Pray for their kids. They would have a heart after you. 
in jesus' name.